Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This podcast is a reflection of our connected lives and is dependent on the generosity of you, our listener. So please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash Sharon and either use the donate button or bookmark the Amazon portal through which we will receive a percentage of whatever you purchase from Amazon, or sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. We thank you for your support in allowing Sharon to continue to share her exquisite heart wisdom. Um, thank you. 
really, really enjoyed what you've had to say over the past days. My question is, um, you went to India and found a guru, and Ramdas, obviously, they went over there. So at, at the same time, you all have said it's all one, meaning there's truth everywhere that you find it. And I find, um, for myself, I go from bright faith, is what you called it, to like serial monogamy of bright faith to bright faith. And my question is, do you think it's important to land somewhere, or do you think it's just fine to be a tourist everywhere? <laughs> Um, well, in, in the tradition in which I practiced, in, in Buddhist tradition, and you could say the southern Buddhist tradition, schools found most in countries like Burma, the word for, that we call teacher or, or guru, um, it's a little different in that tradition. The word is kalyanamita, and it means spiritual friend. Um, so it's a different relationship than when one is really doing a kind of bhakti path or devotional path with a guru. And the spiritual friend is someone who um, can help inspire you, of course, and uh, presumably, hopefully, has a body of knowledge that is greater than your own about experiences that come along, about ways to help you come back into balance and all of that. But there's a tremendous emphasis, you could say, on method um, and on your own experience. Because with the method, you're free. You know, it's, it's a question of doing it. And you're not dependent on anyone once you have some clarity and confidence about how to do it. Um, and very often we do get stuck in the things we don't see. And uh, we, if one has a teacher, then it's like priceless. It's an extraordinary thing because um, I do believe very strongly that what we need to know, we will learn from our own experience anyway. But a teacher can certainly help hasten that, and not always comfortably so, uh, but in, in a really useful and powerful way. So whether you jump from method to method to method to method, or you know, teacher, teacher, teacher in that way, I mean, it, it's of course up to you and, and your assessment of your own experience. It's like I've had many teachers um, in the beginning, I couldn't do that well. Uh, you know, all my earliest, earliest teachers were either Burmese or, or had practiced in Burma. And then a few months into my uh, first year in India, somebody showed me a photo of Kalamur Pache, the Alamo Raga was talking about. I was very taken with him. So I went to the other end of India to study with him. And then when I sat down to meditate, I couldn't really practice because I would just sit there and think, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Should I do this or should I do that? Which way is faster? How am I going to get enlightened fastest? 
well, these people seem more enlightened than those people, but I know those people better than I know these people. If I knew these people as well as I knew those people, maybe they wouldn't seem so enlightened. Which way is better? Which way is faster? Should I do this? Should I do that? And so it was like a complete waste of time. Um, and I finally said something to myself, like, just do something. You've got to actually do something to make it real. It doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment, but if you're just sitting here thinking, you know, should I do this, should I do that? You're not doing anything. So I said, okay, I'll just choose this thing for six months. So that's what I said to myself. And that was really important. Because then when the doubt and the uncertainty came up, I'd say, not now, not quite now. You know, let me just see where this takes me because that's the alchemy, is making it real. It's not just having the thought, well, you know, um, I have the path and that's good. But, but everything that happens won't, won't work to make it real. And so I couldn't do it well in the beginning. You know, I, I really needed to kind of calm down and, and rely on that structure. Now it's very different. You know, as I uh, continue to have many teachers and, and explore different things. But, you know, that's it's different because um, of the amount of experience that I've had in, in just doing one. Um, I guess the thing I've been wondering a lot about is, can you, like, I keep struggling with, am I trying to do too much? You know, like, I, I'm in this period where it's like, I have time to practice and I just want to. Any place I can go, any opportunity I have when they say, like, open the door and sit all day, I want to go and do it. Um, and I don't really think, like, I'm not thinking like, oh, if I do this, mm -hmm. I'm going to be in line. I'm just thinking like, I have a lot of shit to work out. <laughs> and here's a place that's going to let me sit there and like, maybe I'll work it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then I think, and then I kind of hear like some of the stuff, I mean, I like Krishna Das was saying, like being greedy for experience. And so then I'm like, am I just being greedy for experience? <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out like, how do you, I don't know. How do I know if I'm just being greedy for experience or like, I don't know, or well, I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm asking you. Like, I'm just kind of uh -huh. this weird uh -huh. questioning my own thing. Uh -huh. Well, I'm not sure you can know or need to know on your own. I mean, that's part of, um, I assume that these places that are opening their doors and saying you can just come sit, have some teachers there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, so you're not going to sit in a room um, all alone, although some people do, you know, but that's part of the interaction when I said it's not always comfortable with a teacher because sometimes they're a mirror, right? Um, and that's part of what gets revealed or um, intuited, maybe they don't say it directly, but you get an intuition in their presence. I mean, all kinds of things can happen, but that's part of their, that relationship. It's like I think of um, uh, this time we brought this Burmese teacher, Saito Upandita, to Barry uh, Mass in uh, 1984. And uh, 
the years are definitely morphing. Like, wow, that's a long time ago. Um, and he was going to teach a three-month retreat, and I was going to sit it. I and you know several friends uh, were going to sit it under his guidance, and we'd never met him before. He just was highly recommended by other people who'd been to Burma, and this was his first trip to the States. And so we brought him over, and he arrived one day, and we began sitting the next day. So that's intense, you know, to sit for three months with someone you've never met. And um, he turned out to be this extremely fierce, intense, uh, powerful, powerful teacher, but very demanding. And he also, we were seeing him six days a week for these brief meetings, which we call interviews for some reason, no reason, um, just to describe our practice and, and to get some direct feedback. So he also had a kind of uh, teaching style where he would tend to say the same thing again and again and again and again and again, until something shifted inside of you and then he'd go on to something else. So by the time he came, I'd been practicing with a lot of, ardency and intensity for about 14 years and um, he came and, and we just got into this routine where I would go in the morning and see him and describe my experience and he would look at me and say, well in the beginning it can be like that and I think, I'm not a beginner, I've been practicing for 14 years, that's all he would say, in the beginning it could be like that, that was our interview so I'd leave. And I'd practice all day and wake up in the morning and go see him. And I'd describe something totally different from the day before. And he'd say, in the beginning, it can be like that. And I think I'm not a beginner, you know, nothing to say. And I'd leave. And it was like day after day after day. No matter what I said, he would say, well, in the beginning, it can be like that. At one point, I felt like I had a giant neon 14 flashing at me from my brain. I'm not a beginner. I've been practicing for 14 years. The next day, in the beginning, it can be like that. At one point, I was so disgruntled, I thought, I wonder why people say you're such a great teacher. He never says anything. You know? All he ever says is, in the beginning, it can be like that. And it was like day after day. It was like one day, I did just get it. I, I remembered another level. I thought, oh, right, it's good to be a beginner. You know, not to be so jaded and not to be so uh, full of expectation. Like, oh, yeah, I know what happened yesterday. I know what's happening next. And, you know, to be that wholehearted and that tender and that completely present as we are when we're a beginner. I remember it. Oh, right. It's good to be a beginner. So I went in to see him. And, of course, that was the day he went on to something else. <laughs> Altogether different. So would I have seen that? I mean, I was stuck. I was definitely stuck. Would I have seen that anyway from my practice? I do believe I would have uh, over time, but he hastened the process. It was like, look at what you're doing, you know? And, and that is part of the function of, of a teacher in that way. So I don't think you have to worry so much about that, but see what happens, uh, what emerges in, in your insight in that context. So nice to meet you, Sharon. Thank you. It's so nice wonderful. to meet you. I want to relate to the lady from Australia who talked about having a pretty icky sponge. And 
I'm wondering how we can apply this approach, loving kindness, to forgiveness mm -hmm. for some of the specific hurts that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very powerful question. I mean, within, you know, like the Buddhist teaching, forgiveness is very tied to an understanding of change and the potential for change. Like, maybe we're not the person we were when we did whatever. We're not exactly that person anymore. Um, or even if someone has hurt us uh, and doesn't seem to be on a path to change at all, we know just the nature, life is change. You know, that just the nature of life is that that potential is there. And so the rigidity and the certainty, like you are that person and you always will be, that's a mistaken notion. So more than a kind of absolution, forgiveness has to do with not being stuck in, in a kind of rigidity. Um, I am the person who did that really stupid thing. Um, and you are and always will be, and we will always have this precise relationship where I am haunted by this thing you did is also not true. Um, so as another example, um, forgiveness is used sometimes almost ritually uh, ritualistically. Uh, in Buddhist teaching, it's like a very classical thing to do at the end of this retreat would be to ask and extend forgiveness of one another. Just so that were we to meet again, we'd be starting from a, a kind of clear playing field. Instead of, oh, you're the one who, you know, jostled my arm at breakfast so that I, you know, broke that cup in front of everybody or, you know, something like that. It's like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting usage of it. Uh, even if you don't feel it, um, it's just setting a, a context. So the other thing about forgiveness is that I think it's very dangerous when it becomes something we feel coerced toward. Like, you must um, be able to let go and my response is always, well, easy for you to say, you know, <laughs> it's not that easy. Um, but we can bring a lot of understanding to bear on those situations. First of all, we don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be defined by either our own mistakes or the mistakes of others. Um, we can remember those truths of everybody wanting to be happy and ignorance being such a resounding force that causes us all to do so many things that create so much suffering. We can remember the preciousness of a human birth and how we have the capacity for so much consciousness and awareness and love and we can squander it so totally, all of us. Um, we can remember that strength and power may not reside where we conventionally are taught they reside, like endless vengefulness. I mean, look how that goes in this world, um, where 
people, nations are just in these dynamics, you know, where one after the other. And how strong is that, really? You know, so, so we bring a lot of wisdom to bear so that we can free up some of our, our energy and um, go through lots of changes. You know, if, if you're talking about things from the past, you know, there's stages of grief and letting go. And um, there are all kinds of experiences in that process of letting go. But in the end, we are free. Um, not to dismiss what's happened or say it doesn't matter, but to have a whole other relationship to others. You know, if you look at those people in this world who, uh, sometimes very ordinary people, sometimes very renowned people who go through so much pain and difficulty, and they are so remarkable because it leads them to such a profound sense of connection to others rather than, than isolation or bitterness. And I always think it just takes one, you know, for me to think, oh, look at that. It can happen. It can be done. And we just know that that becomes possible for us. It's good to have fun with your own mind, too, I think, always. Um, if you can get some perspective, it, it is sort of highly funny. <laughs> Even as we carry on. I was thinking about just now one of those times sitting that same retreat in 1984 with Sada Upandita. Um, a few different things happened. One uh, was... Um, the word in Pali uh, for, that's usually been translated as defilement is klesa. In Sanskrit, it's klesha. And it more literally means torment of the mind. So the idea is when we're caught in greed, we're caught in jealousy, we're caught in fear, we're caught in anger, then we're in a state of torment. Um, but I, I was sitting and I got into one of those loops, those mental loops, where I thought of somebody I found quite difficult. And I went through his list of problems. Like, oh, you know, you did that, and you did that, and you did that, and you did that, and you're all caught up in this way. And then, and then I do some walking meditation, and I come back, and I go through the same list. Uh, and it just went on. And then I, I found my mind very funny. And I said to myself something like, well, if Kalesa means torment of the mind. Why am I being tormented by his Kalesa? Let him be tormented by his Kalesa. I don't have to be in this loop. You know, I don't have to be obsessed in that way. And so, you know, there are just ways we see in which we kind of like give away our energy and give away our life. And uh, we can take it back. And when we see that, we can also have... Um, both compassion and humor about seeing that, that tendency. Maybe one more question, if we have any. I, or two more questions. I don't know where the microphone is. Oh, there he is. Hi, Sharon. Nice to meet you. Thank you for everything you've given us. Yeah, um, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I've been meditating for about 15 years. 
Mm -hmm. So, beginner, you know. Um, I, my question is, I guess, is have you ever gone through a period of time where, I guess, every once in a while it just doesn't work, you know. You'll have a day where you can't meditate or you just can't get into the, the calmness or the peace. Did you ever have a period of time where that was happening? Like, <laughs> I'm kind of in a two-month mm -hmm. spread now where I just can't seem mm -hmm. to bring myself to that place. And I've been mm -hmm. doing this for, for mm -hmm. what I think is a mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any suggestions mm -hmm. or change the pattern? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's never been this long for me. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. usually it's a day here or a day there, but I practice loving kindness every day, and it mm -hmm. um, gets me, you know, gets you through the day, and it, mm -hmm. it helps mm -hmm. you be a better person. Now we're on a two-month stretch. I'm ready to punch someone in the nose, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> if you could help with that, that would be great. Mm -hmm. I'll try. Um, I mean, definitely, there can be very long periods where all kinds of things are happening, and they're not necessarily bad. You know, sometimes a lot, I mean, it's a big purification process, too. Sometimes a lot of agitations coming out or distress or, you know, all kinds of things can happen. And honestly, it is truly okay. It, it's not a bad sign. If it goes on for a very long time, of course, it's challenging, but it's not wrong. And... Um, the main thing I would suggest is kind of uh, shifting your sense of what the meditation's supposed to do, and especially what the core of the practice is, because if the core of the practice is mindfulness, um, mindfulness is about relationship. It's about how we're relating to whatever comes up, and so you can have like a, a long run of miserable things come up, but it's not bad meditation. Because your practice is not to try to get rid of it to get to calm and peace, but to be with it in a different way. So you could say what, you know, what Ram Dass said with loving awareness, or what I would just call relationship and mindfulness. Um, so uh, we say that mindfulness can go anywhere that it's not about what's happening, it's about how we're relating to what's happening. So, in the particular school that this Burmese teacher, Saida Upandita, teaches in, um, they teach a technique called mental noting, where you won't just feel the breath, but you'll mentally say in, out, in, out with it. And then if something really strong comes up, not some little dwippy thing, but something really powerful comes up, you place a label on it, like, oh, thinking, anger, joy, something like that. So that's his style of mindfulness. So there we were back in 1984, and uh, you know, I see him six days a week, and we got into another run where I would describe some beautiful, fantastic, wonderful experience during my meditation, he would look at me and he would say, well, could you note it? Meaning, could you label it? But really meaning, could you just be with it? With loving awareness, let's say. Could you be with it with presence and, and just recognize, okay, this is what's happening right now. And I would sit there and think, what do you mean could I note it? It was fantastic. And then there were many times when I'd go in and I'd describe something very difficult, very challenging, quite unwelcome. 
in my practice and he would look at me and he would say, well, could you note it? And I think, what do you mean could I note it? It was terrible. And like day after day after day, and I think, couldn't he think of something else to say? <laughs> and day after day after day, and then one day, again, it was like I got it, and I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? He's not sitting in judgment of me about my experience. All he cares about is how I'm relating to my experience. You know, the, till the end of this course, I could describe sleepiness, restlessness, agitation, pain, and he wouldn't think, oh, Poor thing, she's supposed to be a teacher. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was just like, okay, how are you with it? How are you with it? How are you with it? Because that's the real freedom, not in being able to contour our experience in a certain way, because that will not last. You know, that's just too conditional. Um, and we don't want our practice in the end to be based on fear. Like, oh no, you know, noisy neighbors, I'm never going to get peaceful again. Like, oh no, I've got to move to the island of Manhattan. Oh no, uh, restless thinking. Oh no, you know, what if? Um, because then our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we think, oh, I've got to guard against that and I can't let that happen. I have to protect that. And, and our practice gets so narrowly defined. Whereas it could be the world. It could be hard as wide as the world. I, I, I assume you know that I had a book out years ago called The Heart as Wide as the World. <laughs> so Krishnadas and I have a, a fun relationship about that. <laughs> he said, would you mind if I use that book title as, as my next CD? Which of course I didn't, but um, I'm always amused when he Sings it. I think, yes, that's my song. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, you know, that, that's our potential, really. Uh, even if it's a dreary, dreary, dreary period and we're looking at a lot of agitation or sleepiness or boredom or whatever, it's actually okay because we're relating to it differently. Thank you for listening to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. We really do appreciate your support and hope you will continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash Sharon and clicking on the donate button or by using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Namaste. Namaste.